This is Josh Summers, and you're listening to Everyday Sublime, the podcast where I explore a full spectrum, highs, lows, plateaus, warts and all kind of spirituality. I tend to uh, offer Dharma reflections here. I tend to have conversations with teachers and practitioner friends of mine. And a lot of those conversations circle around the intersection of yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and Buddha Dharma or Buddhist meditation. And uh, I'm going to keep this intro short. This is a shorter talk and reflection that I gave this week. Um, as you'll hear, I've been struggling a little bit just with my own headspace, uh, primarily related to the, the the difficult health condition of my dog, which is something all dog owners, all pet owners know. And it's kept me up, it's kept me from sleeping well for the last several nights. Um, so I'm a little bit raw, and the um, the reflection is really around just the the energy, the state, the calamity of the world at the moment, uh, including reflections around earthquakes, life quakes, and what our Dharma practice, our meditation practice can potentially offer us um, as a way to orient to these experiences, how to metabolize these experiences, and how to create space so that our heart and creative energy can meet these experiences. So I hope today's reflections are helpful. And just before I give you the talk, if you would like support in your own practice, if you're a yin yoga practitioner, a qigong practitioner, a meditator, you're interested in the synergy of the three practices together, what Terry and I are calling fluid yin yoga, if you would like support in your practice, we encourage you and invite you to join our online practice community. We have four classes each week on these, these various practices. And um, we have a lot of teachers, yin yoga teachers in particular, who uh, join and participate as a, as a way to uh, nourish their ongoing teaching. So our library is a great bank of all sorts of classes that Terry and I have taught. There are tutorials. Um, there's a few workshops there. It's a great resource for your teaching or practice. Um, and we just encourage you, if you will, to join us because um, A, your membership supports the work that we do and the podcast here, but it also deepens and enriches our conversation together. So if that's of interest, check it out in the show notes where the Riverbird Sangha, where yin yoga, qigong, meditation meet the one practice with many forms. Without further ado, here's today's talk, Earthquakes and the Dharma. So good to see you all, and um, I guess I want to begin by just saying that I'm not in best of form today. Um, it's primarily related to the health of my dog, who's struggling, and um, I think I've averaged about four to five hours of sleep the last few nights, um, just lots of getting up to go out, take care of his needs, um, and and concomitant anxiety for me around that, not knowing really what's going on for him. But the theme, uh, you know, if I even have a theme today, um, is a theme that I've been reflecting on in the small hours of the night when I can't sleep. And it's this theme that we're all aware of 
uh, in the world of an earthquake. And really how tied my tongue has felt with many headlines in the news, not just the devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. And how, just how kind of literally speechless, wordless, uh, at a loss I feel. But one of the things that has sort of come back to me as I've been lying there, sleepless, is the memory of an earthquake that I lived through, a, a real earthquake. I was, um, in 1999, I was living in Taiwan for a second year. And I was living in the northern part of the island, the northern tip. And um, one night around two o'clock in the morning, I had the strangest dream that I dreamt that there were football players, American football players under my bed, kicking my mattress towards the ceiling with me in it. And I woke up out of that uh, completely confused and terrified. And luckily, uh, in some ways, uh, I had a roommate at the time. Uh, and she asked in a very direct way, she said, Josh, is Taiwan prone to earthquakes? You know, and I, I was at a lot, I mean, I was just in such a state, I didn't even know what I, I don't even remember what I answered. But it became clear that that's what was going on, that we were experiencing an earthquake. And I was very uh, ill-prepared unknowledgeable about what to do in the face of earthquakes and i did something that i look back on and i think what like what was i thinking how could i have done that which was that i ran into the elevator and took the elevator down to get out of the building and of course as soon as i'm in the elevator and as the door shuts i'm thinking Oh, dear Lord, I could be trapped in here forever. This could be the end. And I was lucky I got out. And I was lucky that the part of Taiwan that I was in was not the epicenter. The epicenter was at the center of the island. And the major destruction, the major death that occurred was in the center of the island. And there are only a few buildings around Taipei that I remember that came down. Only a few. Only a few. Even that phrase, just how, how do you speak to this? And that was in, so that was in 99. Um, and in 2001, I was back in the States starting my acupuncture training. And I remember driving on Sturrow Drive one of the main roads through Boston, listening to NPR, the National Public Radio Service, and hearing that in 2000, this was 2001, January of 2001, hearing about a massive 
earthquake in Gujarat, India, which was the state that I had spent a year in in 1998. It's called the Buj earthquake, named after the city in the western remote part of the state that was the epicenter. And at the time, I just couldn't and still can't get my head around the the toll that that earthquake earthquake caused. The estimate is was around somewhere between fourteen and twenty thousand killed. And what was, you know, in some ways just particularly chilling was that um, this is again this is ninety eight. So when I was there, and this is the pre smartphone era, but I had taking a few pics, pictures of where I was and places I saw, but there was a, an old palace in this, this city that was the epicenter of this quake. And I had somehow orchestrated a photo of me up at the top of this palace in sort of this beautiful patio portico area on the top. The photo is actually right over here. Um, but that palace and everything, it's not just, it's not the palace, but the palace is gone. Just completely came down. And I knew that uh, some of the staff at the school that I worked at were killed by parts of a palace falling on them. So... I know I haven't spoken to it yet, but the the unimaginable trauma that I'm seeing, we're seeing in the papers or the media occurring in Turkey and Syria, coupled with the brutalization of Tyree Nichols that occurred in, temp- in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm just thinking through the, and feeling through really, the presence of these horrific things in all of our hearts. And and I know from correspondence with all of you, or some of you, I should say, that many of you are also going through what I think psychologists or some psychologists refer to as life quakes. Life quakes. And I I shared about my experience in the earthquake at Taiwan because, again, I I don't know what possessed me. It was like a silly, uh, poorly thought through decision to get into the elevator. But I think it it represents the kind of difficulty in decision-making and taking at wise action in the face of these cataclysmic eruptions in life. And just to give a sense of that, um, I received a very touching email from a member of ours in Dublin, Ireland, who shared that his mother is 
at that final stage of life and he's really struggling with care in managing that and the emotional toll that's taking and i know that others of you that have shared with me i hope you know that i'm also thinking of you in that context of caring for a aging relative or parent and the 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 disruption to life that that brings or the the form of life i should say we don't as as mark reflected last time sometimes these very challenging conflicts are opportunities for growth so i'm going to leave with that open but it you know as i'm holding it and and sitting with it i know that everybody here that i that i'm seeing i know you're all holding your own form of this your own expression of the life quake losing what is dear to you whether it's a person a capacity a situation grieving what you never had maybe and i just want to speak to this that um i don't know how to uh i guess what i'm trying to say is our practice is a space where we can uh be with the truth of these experiences and it's a space that's protected by our presence and so through our presence collectively and through your practice of coming to presence with yourself we give ourselves an opportunity to feel it and in that opportunity in taking the pause to feel i think there's a way one way i try to speak to it or think about it is it gives us a way to um channel prioritize direct our life energy in a way that feels in alignment with our our deepest values and even this morning when i went woke up and and looked at the paper a whole mixture of emotions ran through me because i had to scroll way down i had to scroll way down to find an update about the earthquake an update around tyree nichols buried beneath super bowl coverage 
And it just staggered. It's staggering to me. How our attention, for lack of a better word, is manipulated. So I, I, I'm going to close now uh, with the final thought that are, you know, just build off that, that, that final theme of how our attention is manipulated. That practice might be thought of as an act of resistance of reclaiming the agency and the independence of your attention. And as I think as E.E. E. Cummings once said, I won't get the quote exactly right, but everybody else out there is kind of pushing on us to not have our attention our own, as our own. So it takes an act of courage, it takes an act of patience, it takes an act of discomfort, to reclaim the sovereignty and nourish the sovereignty of our attention. Okay, I hope you enjoyed some of those reflections. Again, um, it was not an easy talk to give given the state I was in of just fatigue and kind of mental unravel with the the health concerns related to an ailing pet. Um, But uh, I was grateful for the community that held me as I gave this talk, and I was grateful for the conversation we had after. It's very enriching and meaningful. So once again, if you'd like to join that conversation, if you'd like to join us in an ongoing practice form with yin yoga, qigong, and meditation, check out the link for how you can become a member. We'll give you two weeks for free, plus a free copy of my new ebook, The What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga. Most of all, I hope you're well. I hope you're staying safe. Take good care. Keep practicing. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. All my best.